Welcome back to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, where we will explore the local arts culture and community in the Lehigh Valley. We'll be doing this through conversations with individual artists, administrators, and organizations. We'll discuss all types of mediums with the goal of enriching local arts culture. Welcome back to Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast. I'm Elise. I'm Ben. I'm Elizabeth. This past weekend, we all had the opportunity to visit a performance as part of Festival Unbound by Touchstone Theater. Thank you guys Ooh. for coming to that. Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. I had the pleasure of uh, helping out with that event, helping to coordinate some of the accommodations that were provided, including the ASL interpreters and the cart captioning. And what else was there? Audio describer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, you did a lot. We just sat people down. <laughs> yeah, that was chairs. very helpful. Thank you for your volunteer time. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, and I got the internet working. Yeah, that was great. Oh, Thank yeah. you for that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Touchstone Theater uh, runs this amazing arts festival. Uh, this is, I think, was the third one. Third one, yeah. Um, called mm-hmm. Festival Unbound. So if you want to learn more about it, you should definitely look it up on their website. Yeah. Um, but I really enjoyed the event. There were many components to it. There were. Mm-hmm. Um, including... Let me see. I have them all written down because I don't want to miss anything. Mm -hmm. There were two films that were presented by Kinetic Light, Mm -hmm. uh, which is a wheelchair-based dance choreography troupe. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a panel discussion with local artists and arts administrators talking about the power of accessibility in arts organizations and art spaces. And then there was a play directed by local director Randall Forte. Yeah. After the Kinetic Light played, Mm -hmm. the the films that they played from there... um, I loved the Q&A session with the individual who mm. was involved from there. What, is yes. her, what was her name? Alice Shepard. Alice, mm. yes. yes. Yeah, she, she did a really good job. And I loved that when it came to having the other artists that were local there, she was involved in that panel discussion as well. Mm-hmm. That was super cool. Yeah, she yeah. zoomed in for the panel, so that was really awesome. Yeah. And talked a lot about um, she is a person with a disability as well and is the director of this dance troupe and talked mm-hmm. a lot about um, just her, kind of her challenges navigating everyday life but then also rep- using art to represent herself totally. and her disability so that was yeah. a really cool um, integration into that yeah. art event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That was really cool. It was really neat too to have local artists out front before mm-hmm. they came you, before you even came into the show as a whole, I guess you would call it a show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As a whole. Um, and one of the artists, Anne, I don't remember her last Anne name. Anne Leibowitz. Yes. Mm-hmm. She was doing a really neat community-based project about what you're thinking for, essentially, and like how that what that means to you. And you would write it down on these pieces that she had already made, papers out of different materials and paintings and other other kind of forms of media in that sense. And it was really neat to see it all come together because she made it into a big quilt, essentially. It's like a community quilt, and I don't know where it's displaying at the moment, but I think she finished it. Yeah, so there was like a culminating event at the end of the festival that they used the quilt for. Also, a shout out to Michael Freeman, who is also one of our very very first guests, actually, on the Mm -hmm. show in our first season. Um, He was displaying some of his work there, and he was actually able to be a part of the panel, which was really awesome to hear his opinions on you know, art in the community and how it's affected his life and how it's affected totally. the community as a whole. So yeah. that was really neat to see him on that yeah, stage was, and platform. He was great. He was very well spoken. <laughs> Good job, Michael. Yes. Yeah, great job. <laughs> uh, which brings us to our interview for today, which is with 
Randall Forte, who directed Room for Rent, and that played at Festival Unbound. Elise, do you want to take it away with his bio? Absolutely. Randall Forte retired in January as the executive director from the Lehigh Valley Arts Council, having served for nearly 22 years in that position. During his tenure, he led many regional research projects and public forums that promoted arts awareness, advocated its value, and expanded access. Among them included five economic impact studies, the Arts and Access Always program, cooperative arts marketing initiatives, the Young at Art Expo, and the Art Ticks Passport to the Arts. Prior to his career as an arts administrator, Forte was a professional actor and director and still maintains his membership in the Actors' Equity and the Screen Actors Guild. Randall's most recent project, which was performed at the Ice House during Festival Unbound, was titled Room for Rent. These characters carry a sense of loss looking for direction, purpose, and connection. Is life just a room for rent? Nothing is permanent. We spend our brief lives on Earth sharing space in a room that is hopefully safe and provides joy and meeting, seeking a sense of belonging. Randall, thank you very much for coming in today. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> it's lovely to have you here in the studio. We've been talking about this for a little while, so I'm glad it's finally happening. Yes, thanks. Very good. Well, I think we should jump right in. You have, as your bio said, an extremely impressive, very extensive experience in the arts industry. <laughs> I didn't say it was impressive. <laughs> no, I you're, said you're it was impressive. It impressive. <laughs> um, how did you get your start? Oh... Um, I, in school growing up, um, uh, I went to a Jesuit high school. It was an all boys high school. So trying out for a play at the all girls high school was a way of meeting girls. <laughs> uh, I did a production of, uh, the miracle worker at one of the sister schools. Um, and college, I was a history, started off as a history major and, pretty quickly segued into theater as a speech and theater major, mm -hmm. went to the University of Michigan, which was an exciting time to go to uh, school because it was during the Vietnam War and a lot of um, people, a lot of actors had come back to earn their graduate degrees. Mm -hmm. And and they were looking for jobs in the theater, something that they could raise families with and stuff. Mm. And uh, so we were, I, as an undergraduate, I was working with some incredible talent because they were, they had seasoned, they were seasoned, had experience. So the first play I did was Gilda Radner was in, which was a real hoot because she <laughs> was hysterical. And of course, she didn't have the renown she she grew to have and but i say that only as an example of the kind of talent that was at the school and the teachers were teacher, teachers were all right but you you learned a lot by working with a lot of these graduate students who were in their late early 30s late 30s mm. you know so they were pretty seasoned yeah that's very cool that's um, a very immersive arts education to kind of jump <laughs> jump right into it. Yeah, my dad was a professional trumpet player, hmm. and he was really obsessed with music, um, but he could not make a living at it. So he um, put away his horn and never picked it up again. Hmm. And he had five kids. You would have thought one of us would have had some musical experience or talent, but he unfortunately made the decision, dissuaded any of us from taking music because he had had such a difficult time, mm. you know, with the career. 
and here I ended up in the theater. So I, <laughs> so I, I guess I can give him credit for that. <laughs> Absolutely. After college, um, what was the kind of path into theater for you? I left college. Um, I didn't finish my degree, um, then went back and finished after a year. I I wasn't sure, you know, I, I had a lot of doubts about whether I should go into theater or not, but I, I took a year off, worked, um, and just was miserable without doing theater. So I went back and finished my degree, tried to get into a graduate program at Wayne State University, which they have the Hillberry program. It's actually, it's a repertory program, so they're mm-hmm. doing two to three plays in rep. Um, and... Um, did not get into that and was auditioning for a n- number of local theaters in the Detroit area and managed to get my equity card um, in 1983, hmm. 1981 actually. Um, so I'm a member of Actors' Equity and the Screen Actors Guild and um, that was an honor to be part of that union. You were, uh, the contracts that you were offered were paying contracts. <laughs> That's uh, ideal. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, I'm, I'm proud to say I have my, I have a pension from Actors' Equity. I was vested in, um, over a period of 12 years, mm-hmm. I worked um, with equity contracts, so I, I got my n- number of weeks that I needed. So it's not a lot, but it's, you know, and it's something, <laughs> and it's a validation of my career pursuit, which I really appreciate. Absolutely. Um, and then my wife and I uh, moved to the Allentown area from Michigan after she finished her uh, MFA at the, she took her MFA at the Hillberry. Mm-hmm. Um and we thought we would eventually move to New York, but it just <laughs> when we started looking for a place uh, to live, we found ourselves further and further outside of the city, <laughs> and we were expecting our first child. Mm-hmm. And John had some complications, and um, so we decided to stay put mm-hmm. until the baby was born, and we mm-hmm. did. And then this job opened up at uh, Kutztown University, a costume designer position, which is what she had intended to do mm. was to teach. She started graduate school three days after we were married. <laughs> uh, it was a two-year program. It was pretty intense. Mm. Um, but she was a costume designer at Kutztown University for close to 30 years. Um, and you know, uh, when, the, when the kids were young, I would go back to Michigan, and I, would, I had some connections still there, and I would... Um, um, either act or direct, and then, but as the kids got older, I couldn't leave the, you know, Johanna to raise the kids. So, uh, a job opened up at uh, Northampton Community College, and mm-hmm. I directed a play a year there for um, thirteen years, mm-hmm. and that was fun because I was able to um, pretty much choose what I would like to direct. And mm-hmm. working at a community college, you have actors from all different age. <laughs> ages, so you're able to cast, uh, you know, someone who's 40, uh, mm-hmm. you're able to cast right. a 40-year-old, <laughs> yeah. which is, you know, which is nice. So, I, I mean, and my kids grew up backstage, you know. Oh, I, uh, cool. So, 
they are, they're great arts patrons, but they run as far away from the arts as possible. <laughs> and they, it, it was too much. I think they witnessed an incredible struggle. Mm. Um, and so they, they've chosen other careers. My daughter's an attorney and my son mm. is, a, is a chemist. So um, uh, they're both, but they're great art supporters. In fact, my uh, son and his wife came to see the play I recently directed. Oh, cool. Um, they live in Philly, and so they came out for the afternoon, which was nice. Oh, and, that's uh, nice. I, mean, I don't think my daughter-in-law had seen anything of my theatrical pursuits mm. um, because I hadn't been doing it for 20 years right. um, when I right. took on the position at the Leah Valley Arts Council. Hmm. Wow, that's very cool. Yeah. That's neat that they got to come up and see that. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it, it was First one nice. in 20-some years. <laughs> mm-hmm. So we were both at the performance of Room for Rent this past yes. weekend. <laughs> oh, was it the past weekend? Wow. It was like so long ago. <laughs> <laughs> it was really encouraging to see all the different aspects of accessibility there that day. Mm-hmm. From caption the closed captioning to being able to have the FM systems and just the entirety of the play itself. It was really neat to be able to see. And, you know, oh, and the interpreters, of course, as well. That in of itself is such a lack, uh, there's such a lack of presence in that in this area. So it was really cool to see that you were able to incorporate all of those with the help of Festival and Bound and Touchstone, of course. But that was really neat. It was a great opportunity to tell some stories Mm -hmm. about this community. I mean, um, the story of a family, you know, uh, living with a person with a disability mm-hmm. is, you know, not only the story about the person with the disability, but the mm-hmm. mom and the dad and the brothers and the sisters and all the complications that that they face. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was pleased that this particular play um, told that story. I mean, it was about aging and a man uh, who was in his early 70s having um, arthritis in his legs and Mm -hmm. having um, lost um, his wife within the past decade and living alone in his home and his daughter coming Mm -hmm. on a weekly basis to give him groceries and to do (laughs) things for him. Um, But the daughter recognizing the fact that he's aging Mm -hmm. and, you know, concerned about the fact that he will be safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so, I mean, it affects, you know, the person without the disability as well. It was Mm -hmm. important to me also to work with people who had a sensitivity towards disabilities. Mm -hmm. The the actress who played uh, the daughter, uh, Mm -hmm. Susan, Mm -hmm. uh, Roseanne D'Amico Schatowski, grew up with a father who was blind. Mm. She was his his audio describer. Mm. Um, she has a son who has MS. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, she lives this life. She right. understands yeah. it completely. Um, and the gentleman playing Walt, the 73-year-old, uh, he has a hearing impairment setting on, like most people in their mm-hmm. 70s. I can <laughs> yeah. attest to that. <laughs> yeah. um, and I have Parkinson's, which carries with it a, you know, mm. certain um, challenges. Um, mm. One of which is I tire very easily, so I have to be careful about pacing myself. Right. Mm. Um, 
But um, I thought the play um, was an exciting one to do. Mm -hmm. Interestingly enough, it's a 30-year-old play, which I had directed 30 years ago at Muhlenberg College. That's cool. And um, I... There had been talk when I had been offered, you know, the director role as far as putting together the uh, making our world, um, Mm -hmm. a day of access, if you will, Mm -hmm. um, about doing an original piece, a devised piece. There wasn't enough time to create something Mm. in the schedule. But I remembered this piece and I called the playwright. Mm. He's a pastor at St. Timothy, I think, Lutheran Church. And North or South Carolina, and asked him about whether he would be interested in rewriting it because it really would need to be updated. And I told mm-hmm. him, I said, you know, two of the most important issues facing uh, our our country now are mm-hmm. um, racial inequality mm-hmm. and COVID, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pandemic. And mm-hmm. um, these would have to be very much a part of the play. Mm-hmm. And I wanted, I, I asked him, I said, I'd like to... Um, the young girl in the play, I would like her to be a person of color. I think that would mm. make for an interesting dynamic as far as the yeah. the, the two two characters, mm. but also for the the audience because it was a suburban neighborhood and mm-hmm. there were issues of um, systemic racism in the play. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. So I thought we were tackling some relevant issues and that was important to me Mm. um it was also important to me that the um remainder of the programming of the festival have access to accommodations for their audiences Mm -hmm. as well there's a limit to how much you can do over the course of five days but we at least addressed it Mm. and um so I, i i mean there were a lot of people who were exposed to accommodations in a way that they never had been before which surprised me actually yes yes Elise knows we've been doing this since 2013 and you know we had the arts council had a program arts and access always they still have a program i guess Mm -hmm. um and um we spend a year developing a, a program of producing some 45 theatrical um, artistic events, mm. so including poetry readings by a blind poet, mm-hmm. um, dance classes for Parkinson's patients, wow. theater productions, um, children's productions as well. We mm. the, the IU 20 mm-hmm. um, had their uh, students with deafness participate in a, a workshop with a classical quartet Yes, and uh, it was exciting the way uh, the uh, the um, piece the, the the year came together, mm-hmm. and uh, how how positive people were about what they attended. Mm-hmm. Right, going back to the play room for rent. Um, you just mentioned and had mentioned during the day of that there was a writer for this play that you had approached about kind of rewriting some of the dialogue or re casting some of the characters. Um, what does that process usually look like? Because in some cases for performance pieces, the writer is the director. And in some cases mm-hmm. it's similar to this situation where 
there is an opportunity to kind of modernize a piece, if that's the right word. Um, so what does that process look like? Um, generally, I don't think writers direct their own work. Really? Hmm. I, I don't think they should. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. I think they're too close to it in some instances. Mm-hmm. Um, but circumstances, if there's no director, then they have to. Mm-hmm. But And sometimes they, depending on the writer, can get impatient with actors not arriving at the truth of a situation. Uh, But I always have to remind them that it took them X amount of days to arrive at the truth. So mm -hmm. the actors need time to explore and to... Yeah. You can't judge their their initial um, uh, response to the play. Mm -hmm. Um, So... it was it was exciting because John. I mean, uh, you know, I told him he wrote something, and I would read it, and I would give him my feedback, and mm. I'd say, um, in, "Can you solve this?" And he would send <laughs> something back to me, and together we sort of uh, worked on um, on making it happen. I mean, even mm. once we went into rehearsals, there were some small changes made. Mm. Um, Little line, you know, word changes or line changes. Um, but for the most part, the, the, the play had been set mm. when we went into rehearsal. Um, so, um, and then the actors had some input as well if they were having difficulty sure. with something. Mm. There was a section in the play, if you remember correctly, where they there's an argument between the prospective mm-hmm. tenant, the young girl, yes. and the old man, and he ends up falling. Mm-hmm. And um, what had, what, and they were having difficulty with, this, with that section. Mm. And what I realized was that, you know, there was a monologue practically being given by uh, one, the young act, actress, mm-hmm. and then the, the older man was listened to it, Mm-hmm. And then he would respond with a, his share of the monologue. They weren't mm-hmm. long, though. Right. So mm-hmm. I broke it up into dialogue. You know, this is, you say these two words, these two sentences, and then um, your response will be these two sentences. Because they were responses to what was being uh, delivered. Um, right. But they weren't, they weren't playing. They were, they, they were, the actors felt frozen because they had to stop. So we just turned it into more of a dialogue, and uh, that was helpful. Occasionally, we had we did that with other sections of the piece, mm-hmm. and the playwright was fine with that. I wanted to ask about just the kind of process of working with actors who either have experience or don't have as much experience, and what their like comfort level is in giving feedback on script, or what the process of working with an actor in a stage play is like, you guys had not a ton of time to prepare. We started rehearsals on September 13th. Now I had given given them the script um, once they were cast, but Mm. the part of Susan, I was having difficult time casting. Mm -hmm. So she came in um, just prior, Mm. like on the 12th, she said yes. Mm And so I got her a script, but th- the others had already started memorizing because I had asked mm-hmm. them to come to the first rehearsal memorized. Mm-hmm. So she was behind in the sense that she didn't have access to, the mater- you know, yeah. to study the material. Of course. Fortunately, you know, from a rehearsal point of view, it worked out not too badly because she, um, 
she didn't come in until halfway through the play. So I was mm -hmm. able to start at the beginning and work, you know, towards the end and mm -hmm. give uh, Ro Rosie's a chance to catch up. Mm -hmm. um, but these actors were all seasoned. They're the two uh, younger actors in the play mm -hmm. are part of the Touchstone Theater's MFA hmm. program, mm -hmm. okay. so they have already had their college training. Mm -hmm. And I believe the gentleman who played Jimmy, the son, mm. uh, who we never saw, he was awesome. mm. he was on the phone, it was a phone call, is, is, um, uh, is older and a seasoned actor and the young woman playing... Um, Alicia um, mm -hmm. Crystal Hall uh, was a graduate of Muhlenberg College, which mm. is where the playwright came from. Oh, that's oh, a cool, cool connection. So yeah. that was kind of interesting, you know. I mean that these things sort of come all come together. Mm -hmm. um, my disappointment in terms of the production was we only had one performance. I would have liked to have had yeah. at least one more because I think that. The performance helps the actors, you know, settle into the mm. to the, the script. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a challenging play to to direct because mm. it was um, talky. <laughs> yes. Um, but I had to create a world for Walt um, where mm. he was busy all the time, so the audience didn't see him as an invalid, but someone who could. Uh, have, had some capacity to take care of himself. Mm -hmm, sure. So he was changing the sprinkler and the hose <laughs> and he was picking up dead twigs and putting them in the garbage. Mm -hmm. it, it, so the language was um, almost incidental. Mm -hmm. It wasn't incidental, but I mean it was uh, yeah. it, um, it wasn't center stage all the time there mm -hmm. was things like there's a lot of motion a lot yeah. of activity yeah. a lot of activity and um because he's you know somewhat limited in his movement you mm -hmm. know he can't stand and carry a scene out um i the young girl spent quite a bit of time seated at the table but i told her to make it as animated as possible so yeah. <laughs> i staged it so he was on either side of her so mm. she was constantly shifting mm. which kept her open to the house mm. and also energized her um her um her performance which right was yeah helpful. absolutely hmm. very neat so what is what does the process look like for you in casting your any works that you do um, I asked Touchstone to give me a list of um, actors that I could call in. Um, the TD at Touchstone was wonderful to work with, mm. Chris um, Edding. It was just great. I mean, uh, he gave me some names. We called in a number of people. Mm. Well, I was fortunate to find Bill Joachim to do the uh, Walt, the elderly guy. He, he did. He was practically memorized when he came in, but he's on stage all the time. He mm -hmm. doesn't leave the stage, mm -hmm. so it's a very demanding role. So, mm -hmm. um, I think the play ran about forty-five minutes. Mm -hmm. um, I think you know the activity helped to move the play forward mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit. I think, and even the phone calls were entertaining. <laughs> I mean, initially in the original script, the thirty-year-old version. His son sent him tape recordings. 
Oh. oh, so I mean, you mean that's, so you did modernize yeah, yeah, it a little yeah, bit, yeah. Kind of more than a little. I mean, yeah, with a full. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, so I mean, it, it actually improved it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you relied less on technology in order yeah. to pull that off, right? So. Yeah. Yes. Oh. When it comes to costume designs and setting up the set, who is in charge of that as a whole? Well, typically in uh, professional theater, you will have a production team that exists. That is the um, producers, Mm -hmm. the uh, director, Mm -hmm. the set designer, um, costume designer, lighting and sound designer, uh, and stage management. Mm -hmm. Stage management basically, you know, does the scheduling reminds people when they're being called and organizes that, plus is responsible for calling the show, excuse me, backstage. Um, So she operated the sound that was Mm -hmm. happening. There were very few sound cues to worry about. Mm. The lighting, we didn't have access to, uh, you know, a whole lot of lighting, but there was a general wash, and we were able even to squeeze in a gobo or two. Mm -hmm. Uh, The play takes place in May. Um, Mm. May. or mid-spring, and um, in a suburban neighborhood. Um, And um, in in the backyard, I mean, and um, I I basically did the floor plan and Mm -hmm. um, called upon a friend of mine uh, from Muhlenberg College um, because John was one of his students. And I told him we were doing the play again, and um, would he be willing to uh, give me some guidance in terms of a design? And I took him out to lunch, and he he responded very positively to uh, what I was doing, and it was helpful. I it's what I needed. I mean, uh, the the floor treatment was um, astroturf. It was fifteen by twenty. And I wanted to do that. I was concerned about it looking too much like a putt-putt course or something. <laughs> so, you know, and, I, and he said he didn't, you know, he didn't think that would be a problem. Um, and I was able to create two entrances and exits, which is what you needed. One was, mm-hmm. you know, from the yard, which I found an arbor mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. worked nicely. And then there was a stockade piece, it was eight by eight. And that had been recently donated to, to Touchstone and... Um, I, I thought it worked perfectly. I mean, I liked it because it was it was tall. This is the the tall fence piece. That yes, was in the back I mean because there was there were lines in the play that spoke about the house being a prison to the father, and so mm. the stockade gave that feeling. Mm. Also, you wanted a place to um, an environment that was protected because the girl mm. is looking for sanctuary. She's been in a bad relationship, mm-hmm. ended up in the hospital, so she's looking for a place that's safe. Hmm. And she's learning how to set um, boundaries for herself because she's been in this abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so the having a space that is protected but also, um, um, you know, recognizing for, you know, for the old man that this would be a you know he's he's um, he's limited in terms of what he can do because of you know the responsibilities he has towards the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you know I thought all in all it came well, and then I always 
calling my wife, you know, about. (laughs) There was a line in the play when uh, Alicia, the young uh, woman, comes to... um, for an interview to uh, for mm-hmm. the house for the um, the room for rent says um, he says to her he says what are you doing here I don't um, I don't do surveys and I'm not interested in any girl stuff Girl Scout cookies <laughs> yeah <laughs> and I I I asked you know my wife I said what about if I put her in a uh, she's a waitress yeah. so I put her in a white shirt and khaki pants sort of a uniform. Mm. But gave her um, a vest to show her. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> and it was green, and you know, as part of her uniform. But it might have triggered his, mm. you know, why he said, "I am not interested in girls." <laughs> right. Yeah, that makes sense you know, now. So, um, so I mean, uh, she was the only one who had costume changes. I needed a robe for her because the daughter walks in on her in the shower, unbeknownst to the daughter that mm-hmm. she thinks her father has left the water on in the shower. <laughs> yeah. She's scolding him from off stage. <laughs> and the audience knows that the woman is taking a shower. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're just waiting for the moment when they see one another who they both scream <laughs> and then the daughter <laughs> comes out and, you know, scolds her father, f- mm-hmm. wants to know what she's doing there and what have they been doing together. <laughs> yes. She immediately jumps to the conclusion that this is a, a um, more than just a, a, ca- a casual uh, acquaintance. Um, and the daughter is not aware of the fact that the father has put in a an ad in the paper mm-hmm. um, for a room for rent, and he hasn't told his son either. So right. mm-hmm. he, he's avoiding, you know, their... Um, their negative response. I mean, he mm-hmm. he wants this because he needs to feel he needs to feel that he's making a difference. Mm-hmm. You know that he's that he's connected to to the community. Yeah. There's a lot of humor in the play, which was. Um, <laughs> I mean, I I think humor from the playwright's point of view. I I can say that I think the playwright feels that you know, humor uh, is survival. I mean. Um, mm-hmm. And all of these p- characters are suffering from a sense of loss. Mm-hmm. I mean, the wife has died in the last, you know, within within the decade. Mm-hmm. The son is moved, doesn't live at home, moves moved away, mm-hmm. a few states away, and is finding himself. He's got a dead end job, and he's thinking of going to Costa Rica with a friend and mm-hmm. just <laughs> hang out. And the father is finding that unbelievable, uh, and. Um, the girl, of course, is looking for her sanctuary, and she's just suffered a loss as far as a relationship. Mm. And um, the the um, father is suffering a loss of independence. He doesn't drive anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, he's got his daughter who is trying to get him to reconsider where he's living and try to get him to move, and he wants mm-hmm. nothing to do with... Um, going into assisted living, senior living facility. And what I liked about this version on COVID making an important contribution to the play, one of the arguments has always been for people of an age to go into independent living, Mm -hmm. you know, where the family can be secure, feel secure that they're being watched after. Mm -hmm. Um, But 
under COVID, you know, if you were in one of those facilities, it could have been a death sentence as well. Absolutely. And you certainly are isolated from your own family because they weren't allowed to come and visit you. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it, it um, that became an argument in the play, you know, about the, the liberty, the freedom that you actually have in mm -hmm. those facilities. Mm -hmm. So, um, I thought, hey, you know, the COVID, um, living in time of COVID lent itself well to this, yes, to this play. Yeah. And it wasn't overwritten. It was just... No, it mm -hmm. wasn't. It was not a very in-your-face part of it. But there was even a comment, I think, during in part of the dialogue where the young woman that came to ask about the room for rent was wearing a mask yeah. and he was sitting there and said, I can't even hear you with that on. Mm -hmm. you can, if I'm vaccinated, you can take that off if you'd like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Very good. Well, overall, I thought the play was absolutely wonderful. The event was um, a great demonstration of access and accommodations in practice. Mm -hmm. um, and I just overall, it was really nice to either expose people to that, like you said, yes. um, or just to kind of see it in action. Mm -hmm. So, that was Well, wonderful. I was glad that, you know, we were telling a, a broader story, mm -hmm. that it wasn't just about the guy with the disability. It was mm -hmm. about the family. Right. Yeah. And dealing with how this impacts one's family. Mm, absolutely. Um, my, it was funny because she tell the daughter tells the father, you know, you she offers to have him live with her. Mm -hmm. He says she can't afford it. And she said, well, if you sell this house, some of this money could be used to building, putting in a um, an apartment for you, mm -hmm. uh, just for you and. Um, and technically, it would be coming out of our inheritance. Mm -hmm. And um, my brother is uh, in the process of putting in, his son is putting on an addition mm. to his house for his uh, mom and dad to stay at. Mm. Um, so it's it's very real. It's Yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's something that people deal with all the time. Mm -hmm. Right, right. That decision to make. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, as we touched on lightly before, um, but has been a big part of your career, is you were the executive director at the Lehigh Valley Arts Council mm -hmm. um, since 1999 mm -hmm. until yes. fairly recently uh, retired. Yes, so, it's past January. Yes, yes. So congratulations. Yes. <laughs> it was um, interesting. The um, I saw on Facebook, it was an email or Facebook that came out, the job uh, description came out today uh, at least i received it today mm -hmm. so i thought well it's about time they're getting around, <laughs> uh, to uh you know working things out so. mm -hmm. yeah yeah so that um in your career working there there were many programs many initiatives that came out of your time there. I know one of those, uh, as you mentioned, was the Arts and Access Always program, mm -hmm. which you were a very passionate, very um, fiery disability, <laughs> disability <laughs> and arts advocate. Um, so mm -hmm. what is, how did that come about and what was the personal connection for you in all of that? Um, I think the personal connection was my, most immediately my, my Parkinson's, mm -hmm. which doesn't, um, impede on my ability to um, perform my duties as right. executive director. Um, but um, like I said, you know, it, it can be exhausting and uh, I didn't want to overstay my welcome as well. And um, But I, I think that 
and my my grandfather was an arthritic and was on crutches. And growing up with him, I would go there on weekends and watch him. So I grew up with this. Mm-hmm. I was very close to my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And um, and my mom had a series of falls. She was in a brutal car accident that. Um, uh, took place on my father's birthday and killed my grandmother and left my mom, um, you know, severely um, uh, wounded and it took a while for her to recover. Mm. But it created in our household a different dynamic. I mentioned, I think, there were four kids at the time I have. And um, we were all split up with various uncles and aunts, and then my father insisted we all be home for the weekend. And one of the treatments for my mom's um, leg, which had been busted in a number of places, mm. they put a bone graft in, and the doctor said, you know, that he felt that if she were to get pregnant, uh, the bone graft would take much easier, uh, that a woman naturally builds up calcium in her system mm. when mm. she's pregnant. So she did, and my sister, youngest sister, was born, who was named after my grandmother, mm-hmm. uh, Natalia. Um, and so, I mean, it's been part of my life, you know. Um, and um, so I, I think I was drawn to that. Um, and doing Room for Rent was an ideal marriage of my passion for the th- the theater and also my passion for disabilities. I, I'm convinced that, you know, people need to recognize that this is not just about offering accommodations to people with disabilities, mm-hmm. access, greater access to the arts, but it's offering access to opportunity in the arts because mm-hmm. just like every other uh, segment of the population, there are people who are creative and want to express that creative Absolutely. creativity. And even if they're not pursuing it as a, uh, a vocation, just an avocation or just a class, mm-hmm. they should have access to experiencing the arts because mm-hmm. I think the arts are a great way of, um, of expressing yourself. And um, I, I mean, I can't conceive of a world without them. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was a natural um, segue from raising visibility to the value of the arts as far as the disability community. And um, I, I, it was easy for me to be passionate about it. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm hoping that the Arts Council continues to uh, espouse the, uh, the value and offer programs to the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and makes itself more visible in in that regard. Um, we we managed over the since 1913 to do a fairly good job of even in spite of COVID, which you know wrecked havoc on all the arts. Mm-hmm. And we're in a transitional time now. I mean, I don't believe we will return to normalcy. Mm-hmm. I think normalcy needs to be redefined. <laughs> but I think you know there's there's a need to um, expand diversity, be it people of color, be it um, people with disabilities. I mean, there's there's a need for the arts to be less 
to be more relevant mm. and less um, institutional and a barrier sure. to <laughs> participation. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We've talked at length about just increasing, whether it be increasing accommodations or lowering barriers to the arts isn't just as a benefit to individuals with disabilities. It really does benefit everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, there are stories. There are great stories to be told. Right. You know, yeah. and you know there isn't. I'm. I there 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 isn't a family that doesn't have uh, a relative yeah. or a neighbor who who doesn't have a disability. So mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I went to school when years ago when people were being hidden from the public. Now mm-hmm. with inclusion in schools. There's a greater uh, regard for serving this population, mm-hmm. and um, and so they should be served. Yes, absolutely. In terms of your career, going from a professional practicing artist, um, kind of transitioning into arts administrator, and now back into this director artist role, um, what does that look like, and how has that kind of changed your perspective on the arts? Well, it's all about time. You know, how many hours in the day are there? Um, mm. When I was when I took on the position at the arts council, there was no time for me to. Uh, to do theater. I mean, theater is very demanding. It's, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it takes over. I mean, at least I, it takes me over when I'm involved in it. And the hours, you know, you have to be flexible, even if it's a union uh, contract and stuff. I mean, you have to be there, you know. So um, once I retired, it was easy for me to, not easy, but it became, um, <laughs> you know, an opportunity that I could create for myself. Right. Um, and I believe wholeheartedly that no matter what art discipline or art form you're involved in, as an artist, you have to be in, in, involved in creating opportunities for yourself. People, mm-hmm. there's nobody out there waiting to just... Looking to discover you, right. uh, you have to you have to That's you have fair. to create the opportunities, mm. uh, and I mean, and you have to be flexible in terms of your expectations as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, you there's no perfect out there, mm-hmm. so um, you want to make sure that, and you also want to make sure you're surrounding yourself with people you respect. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's important as well. Absolutely. Um, This has come up over the course of our many episodes, Um, of course, that the arts in general aren't always necessarily seen as, um, how shall I phrase this? You, you touched upon it with a parent that was hesitant to expose his children to music or um, parents are hesitant to send the, to their kids to art, mm-hmm. to college for an art degree. Um, but I think that there is such a stigma around the arts is not there's not opportunity for that to be a real profession. Um, and myself as a young arts administrator, I think that mm-hmm. that's been something that has been said over and over again, <laughs> not necessarily by my parents, but just as people see what I was working to get my degree towards or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, but the one thing that you mentioned that was really interesting is actors equity and the screen actors guild. 
Um, and I was wondering if you could speak just a little bit to the importance of like professional community surrounding people that work in the arts, because there are amazing resources out there like Americans for the mm -hmm. Arts has been a great resource to me and many, many other things. Um, but how how has that benefited you as an artist and an arts administrator? Well, I mean, because they, you know, create the contracts under which the producing theater will hire you. There are certain um, size standard contracts, a letter of agreement, uh, a repertory, not repertory, but uh, theater companies are are defined by Lord A, Lord B, C and D, you know, D being the uh, smallest and A being the, uh, the, the largest. And there's a, a level of contractual responsibility in terms of, um, in terms of um, pay, payment. I mean, that's mm -hmm. set by the contract. It could mm -hmm. be negotiated higher, I guess, if you have that kind of clout. But one of the fascinating things is when you read about celebrities who take a role on Broadway, they're not getting the money they're accustomed to getting mm -hmm. from a from a movie. Ah, you okay. know, but they're doing it because they're learning. They're they're um, they're um, honing their craft. And uh, a f the film, a film um, is such a director's medium and a technical medium, whereas stage is the actor's medium mm -hmm. because they're in the live moment at the time. Right. Know? There's nobody controlling them over the uh, microphone or earphone telling them where to go and what to do. I mean, <laughs> they're in the moment and they're creating that reality. Um, that's an interesting distinction yeah. to to think about, like the actor's medium versus the not the actor's medium. Like mm -hmm. in a film where there's opportunity to cut or pause, um, versus something that's live and you can do mm -hmm. it do it all in one run and then it's done kind of thing. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. As you mentioned before, you have operated as an artist and administrator in the Lehigh Valley for a long time. So, can you speak a little bit to the state of the arts in the Lehigh Valley and what that looks like? Well, I think it, the state of the arts in the Lehigh Valley probably is similar to the state of the arts across the nation. Mm -hmm. There were a number of, of, you know, theaters and symphonies and dance companies, you know, that have been hard hit by COVID because they, they were not allowed to perform. Mm -hmm. And so the basic business model, they're not selling tickets there. Um, and, in live theater and live performance, generally they say that uh, the ticket, the cost of the ticket only pays for 50% of uh, the cost of, you know, putting the play on. Mm -hmm. So um, there's great challenges all over. Um, mm -hmm. And we still have a lot of work to do in terms of advocacy, you know, for mm -hmm. people recognizing the value and the importance not only in terms of the professional arts realm, but also for arts in the schools, mm -hmm. um, because this is where they learn about um, the arts is in school. And there's a familiarity if they get engaged and involved, regardless of whether they pursue it as a, as a vocation or not, um, they're learning from the experience. Mm. I mean, I often thought that uh, learning, uh, directing was a great way to, um, great uh, 
um, course in arts administration. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, my family was in the restaurant business, so I worked in the restaurant business <laughs> for a number of years. You know, if you're doing a big party and there's a lot of different components, putting all that together is very similar to organizing a play and working with a team of people and sure. mm-hmm. getting it done. So, I mean, the arts, um, they also teach you how to, you know, theater anyways, teaches you how to work with other people, you know, towards a common goal. Mm. Um, and and I, I think that's an invaluable experience. So, I mean, um, uh, going out into the workaday world these days is not about, I mean, I know there are a lot of people working from home. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I got to believe that, you know, at the sacrifice of much live creativity and engagement with each other, mm-hmm. because they didn't have an opportunity to to engage live with their colleagues when they were working at home. Mm-hmm. Um, though I give, you know, the arts organization much credit for exploring different ways of using uh, technology and uh, the various media f- to to host meetings and to host public <laughs> events and you know even artistic <laughs> events you know right. um, and I mean it's a process of, of how you wor- use the tools to create something mm. imaginatively um, so I think the arts are important for for education mm-hmm. um, it also teaches you about other cultures Absolutely. um, We're a multicultural nation in spite of what politicians uh, would would like to see. I mean, uh, we are a country built on immigrants. Mm -hmm. And and they come with uh, different cultural biases. Mm -hmm. And we learn from their... I mean, we did a residency in the Arts Council, and I say we, years ago, which had to do with the story of Cinderella... Mm-hmm. And it was done at a school in Allentown. And mm-hmm. there were five versions of it, the story. <laughs> because there was a version of Cinderella in the Hispanic culture. There's mm-hmm. one in the uh, Asian culture. There, there, mm-hmm. There's a story of Cinderella and a lot of different. And you can see the similarities. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way of teaching tolerance to recognize that there's a lot that we share mm-hmm. from people who are different than we are. I'll ask a question that I definitely know the answer to, <laughs> um, and I know how you'll answer. But because it's been a point of contention over the last however many years, um, what is the importance of federally supported, state supported, agency supported arts funding for the arts, whether it be for our edu- education or for public art initiatives? Well, I think um, in the same way that having a membership in the Actors' Equity or the Screen Actors' Guild validates my professional status as an artist, Hmm. um, the um, securing a federal grant uh, carries some clout with it. You Mm -hmm. have to find matching dollars, Mm -hmm. but it's also a federal grant, which is not easy to come by. And if you can bring one into your community, um, you're in a position then to find matching funds, maybe from a funder that you've never approached before. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think what I'm not certain about in terms of the future of the arts of the arts in the Lehigh Valley or across the nation is um, how do you sustain um, a, a company mm. over time? Um, we don't need to have a theater for every art organization that exists. <laughs> mm -hmm. And arts organizations tend to, um, in my opinion, in times of stress, they tend to feel they need to do more to validate themselves, and they mm. get burned out very quickly. Yeah. Um, I think we need to find ways of sharing space and sharing um, opportunities. I think we need to uh, try and influence uh, trustees and foundations and um, members of the uh, corporate community. We need to influence them in having people of color and people with disabilities serve in the capacity and decision-making mm -hmm. so that um, people recognize that, you know, there's this is important to all people, mm -hmm. regardless of their race or their their abilities, um, that there should be equal access to the arts. I mean, mm -hmm. it's a civil right. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, you know, the Americans with Disabilities Act is over 30 years old. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a lot of organizations that are not providing access in mm -hmm. the way that they could. But they need some seed money to do that as well. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's something that the community could be involved in in terms of advocacy mm -hmm. uh, for a greater understanding and awareness of the value of the arts in people's lives. Um, I, Nora Suggs, who's the executive director for um, Satori, which is a small chamber orchestra, mm -hmm. um, did a workshop during the Arts in Access Year of Celebration. And she wrote uh, in her evaluation of it that she was honored to work with these kids. She felt she learned more from them than mm -hmm. she taught. And she taught them, and um, <laughs> that was a wonderful um, uh, review that she had given to that experience. Um, and she saw them turned on by the music. I mean, while they played, they were invited to come and lay their hands on the, the vibrate and feel the vibrations of the instruments and such. Right. Um, and so there are a lot of stories to be told and there's a lot of friendships and partnerships to be made. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, um, and it's fun knowing who you're performing for. Mm -hmm. Um, it's a different, when, when I, I mean, I haven't acted in a number of years, but when I was acting and I was cast in a, in a production that, uh, had the actors or surrounding the stage and then they would enter from a scene from that point of view and just assume the character and play the role. Mm -hmm. uh, typically in situations like that, you tend to greet the audience as they're coming in and you're hanging out on this <laughs> around the stage and that's kind of fun. So you see who it is you're performing for. Mm -hmm. right. It becomes mm -hmm. much more of a 
intimate experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a shared, very much a shared experience. Absolutely. So, so Randall, as a takeaway for our listeners, um, and this is a very opinionated question, but what is one thing, one takeaway, one thing somebody could do um, to be a better arts advocate? Well, I think you should attend events. <laughs> I think you should attend events. And you mm-hmm. might, if you're not a performer or a participant, mm-hmm. um, you could volunteer and get to know the group and the people that are associated with the group. Because I think when you fall in love or you're attracted to a group uh, that you really like and it excites you, then that will motivate you to write a letter or make an appeal. Um, Mm -hmm. I forget what show I was watching. I guess it was Morning Joe this morning. It was the day of the girl, day of some national holiday, day of the international. Mm -hmm. And they had this young woman who um, had started a project. Her project was trying to raise money for people who were um, going bankrupt from their COVID, you know, condition situation, mm-hmm. and it was put on hold um, when COVID was in full bloom and people in schools were not teaching kids in the classrooms. Um, and she she went ahead and continued with it, she, you know, using the tools that COVID sort of provided um, and she raised a tremendous amount of money and this was a 16 year old girl I mean uh, it was, <laughs> and she's highly articulate mm-hmm. so it's not an impossibility and I think when you tell people how much the arts mean to you mm. then they will they will recognize the value of it mm-hmm. I mean I don't think we let people know and I also think you need to say thank you Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's important that you respect the person you're asking the mm-hmm. funds from. Absolutely, Even if yeah. it's an elected official, I mean, and it's taxpayer dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fact that you received a grant is is deserving of a thank you. Mm-hmm. And um, that, you know, and you invite that, that legislator to your event and uh, recognize them in the audience, you know, when they attend so that, the, the community recognizes that we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wonderful. Well, Randall, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you. <laughs> it was fun. And for sharing your story. We really appreciate it. Sure. <laughs> nice to meet you, too. <laughs> you, too. <laughs> and that was our conversation with Randall Forte. Randall, thank you so much for coming in. And here's Elizabeth with our opportunity for the week. Currently exhibiting at Penn State Lehigh Valley's Ronald K. DeLong Gallery is Jason Travers, Documenting the Moment, A Visual Journey. This show was curated by our former podcast guest and gallery director at Penn State Lehigh Valley, Ann Lollick. The show runs from September 7th to December 17th. It is free and open to the public. You can find more information by visiting Penn State Lehigh Valley's website at lehighvalley.psu.edu slash gallery. Thanks for tuning in to the Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast, a Steel Pixel original series. Don't forget to like the podcast, leave us a review, and follow us on both social media and streaming services at Lehigh Valley Arts Podcast.